0: Whether it's audiobooks or all time greatest hits. Long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclid 200 milligrams at kisqali.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Stop being tougher. Small dose. Stop help from the hip. Small dose. we are talking that shit. Small dose. They're keeping it, it real. Small dose. With me and MCU so funky. <laughs> Welcome to another edition of Small Doses. I'm just going to let y'all know now, this is a niche episode, okay? This is a niche episode. We're going to be talking about very specific things related to gymnastics. That is a very big part of the conversation. I am very excited to have. I don't get to, it's like when a Star Wars person meets another Star Wars person and you can have like real conversations about Tatooine. That's how I feel about this conversation with our guest today. Amira Rose Davis is a host of the Prodigies Podcast. And she is an assistant professor of history at Penn State. Amira, welcome to the show. Yeah. Welcome happy to, the to be show. here. So, okay. The reason I said, you know, we're going to be talking about gymnastics is because, you know, I know last season on your podcast, you had a whole Gabby Douglas moment. Mm-hmm. And to my knowledge, and just correct me if I'm wrong, next season is going to be dedicated to the whole season is about black
1: yeah. women. Well, is it so, just
0: women gymnasts or just black Yeah, it's just, it,
1: well, I talk about other things, but it really centers on black girls in gymnastics. So okay. the last two seasons of American Prodigies were hosted by other people. Um, <laughs> and they did one on Freddie Adu. One on Ken Griffey Jr. And okay. so back, I don't know, like a year ago, I was like, bet, so like, obviously I'm going to do one on Gabby. And as it started going, and as I started interviewing Black gymnasts from the 80s to today, I was like, I can't leave this tape on the cutting room floor because, you know, gymnastics, we'll get into it, but almost everybody who does gymnastics is a prodigy just because of how young the sport skews. So I was like, go back to the cutting room floor, scrap it all, we have to do an entire season on all of these stories in some way. And so the entire season, it just dropped, and we have eight episodes that will be dropping over the next two months.
0: Thank you on American Prodigies, Black Gymnasts, and, uh, yeah. Was there anything new that you had not, like, considered that really, like, came out during these interviews?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. So I work on the intersection of race, sports, politics, and gender. And so a lot of the work that I do historically and now is on Black women athletes across multiple sports. So but I know, you know, how the norm. we, we yeah. know the yeah. things. Let me tell you about gymnastics. <laughs>
0: <laughs> As yeah. Well, you know what? So I mean, wait, I have wait. to tell before you. We even, <laughs> before we even go there, because I want folks to be able to hear the comparison, like, what are some of the normal things right. that you're used to? So
1: a lot of times we're dealing with, right, that familiar double bind. So we're talking about body politics, hair politics, we're talking about pay discrepancies, general disrespect, we're talking about a lack of investment. When we're talking about the, like, testimony of of people's experiences, Mm -hmm. a lot of the times the Black women I'm writing about historically, if we know them, we know them only as symbols. They're one dimensional, they're flattened, they're usually in these, like, uplift narratives. Actually, when I started getting into this research, there was no research. I found them all in children's books, right? So I kind of have this analysis of, like, why are black women athletes so useful to, mm-hmm. you know, right. our 20-page so, children's books? Because in 20 pages you can't overcome racism and sexism <laughs> on the strength <laughs> of like a dream, right? And then the people that you didn't know in black women's sports history or even now tend to fall outside of that kind of like constrained box of the stories we allow ourselves to tell about Black women in sports. So either they're queer, or they're not conventionally attractive, or they still have a really thick Southern accent. All of these things that we now kind of talk about as respectability, has actually been the box that used to kind of guard participation. And then as that pushed now, what we see is it guards like endorsements, right? Who gets the coverage? Who gets that? And so across Olympic sports, I work with a lot of Olympians. I I cover track and field. I cover the WNBA and activism, all these things. We're familiar with being overlooked. We're familiar with the kind of labor organizing that is integral to being able to like just fight for your professional life (laughs) as an athlete. We're familiar with the way that you watch other people that you beat repeatedly get more endorsement dollars than you. We're used to stories like Out of the WNBA, where the announcers are saying names wrong, or Serena Williams in early March, is talking about the New York Times doing a whole profile on her where they're and using her sister's pictures. Picture exactly. I mean, these are some of the most photographed prominent <laughs> Black women and they cannot get it right. I mean, they're literally exactly, on the cover exactly. Harper's Bazaar. Like, so, you know, that. so that's what I'm familiar with. And so my premise going into gymnastics and going into the sport is that we have unpacked certain ugly truths about gymnastics, whether it's Little Girls in Pretty Boxes back in the 90s, Mm. or, you know, obviously a lot of stuff that has come out in the last few years in the wake of various abuse scandals. There's more than one. But I always was left thinking, what does it feel like to be in that space dealing with those same things, but you're the only Black girl in the gym, Mm -hmm. right? Because we know all this other stuff is layered onto it. So I went in with the question that guided me as... What does gymnastics look like through the eyes of black girls? And I was prepared for the like regular heaping of bullshit. I was unprepared for it to be compounded by and intensified by a sport and a culture diffused through the sport that was just so abusive in so many different ways. And trying to parse through how people found and located joy. And all of the other things that they were still healing from from their experiences. And I think what took me back a most I I, I talked to athletes from all different eras and people are talking about hard stories and we are very gentle and everything I do is very conversational because you have to we have to trust each other to to like lay these truths out there. And I knew going into it you usually get the tip of the iceberg anyways. but I was unprepared for the sheer amount of people who said, this is the first and last time I'll talk about this. Actually, I'm not ready to talk about this. And it was a whole experience, right? Some of my, One of my favorite interviews and one of my favorite episodes deals with Black women who were gymnasts in the 80s. And one of them in particular was like, I never talk about gymnastics and I'll never talk about it again after this. And I ask everybody to introduce themselves and they're usually like, I was beam champ in this year or I did this, whatever. And she was like, I'm a phlebotomist. And I have not contended with this level of in a sport that provided so much and that so many people are still drawn to, but that so many stories overlapped and intersected in ways that were really painful. And even people who now have an okay and healthy relationship with the sport, I found them having whole gaps of their lives where they took time away. And that was brand new for me. I
0: wonder if I, because I definitely took time away. Yeah. I had a gap. Well, I wasn't an elite gymnast, and I think that's a whole other level. That's a whole other level that people are committing to in their youth and, you know, dealing with just their life being handed over. I think that's a lot of it. But I will
1: ask you, like, one of the things we track. So the number one thing that people say, this one, I want to ask you, I want to see what you say. What is your favorite part about gymnastics when you do it?
0: I feel like I'm defying gravity.
1: That's exactly right. Literally, (laughs) everybody asks. (laughs) It's in the air. It's the freedom in the air. It's the feeling of flying, right? There's something so pure about that sort of pursuit of freedom, you know? And then I I always talk about, well, what happens when you land? (laughs) And I think that in that, where people still have located joy is if they have, like, the people who have been able to heal or, like, feel a little bit better about their experiences are in some way or form tapped into a Black community. Whether we're talking about the trailblazers, like Wendy Hilliard, who was like, Literally, I always went back to Detroit, right? Like, that's what Mm -hmm. saved me. Diane Durham had Gary, Indiana, right? Some people, if we're moving more contemporarily speaking, you know, Hallie Mossett from UCLA, you know, she was AK. She had all of her Her sorority right there on campus, you know? And so there is a degree of people who have been isolated within the sport because the sport demanded as you progressed a certain type of isolation. And folks who are like here's how I still felt grounded. And I think that that has been a pattern that we have seen.
0: I have that pattern. Do you? Yes, because I was going into level 10 Mm -hmm. and I got a stress fracture in my wrist. It was my left wrist. So I was able to learn my floor routine on one hand and I started just doing like standing backs and doing front tumbling on beam. Right. But once I healed from that, of course, by nature of putting all this pressure on my right wrist, then I got stress fractures in my right wrist. Exactly. So it was just like six months of, you know, you're in the gym, but you're not really in the mix. Exactly. And then you're also 15 Right. So like there's adolescence, you know, there's things going on. There's a world to see. There's a world to see. So I was at the same time I had just gotten to the visual performing arts magnet at my high school, Dr. Dr. Phillips High School. Y'all know what it is. 4276 DP. Uh, DP. And I now had this like new group of friends that was growing. And when I was a sophomore and I had these injuries, I also for the first time had like a real group of like, I've always had Black friends, but this was like a whole group right? where everybody went to this one person's house after school. You know, the girl's house we used to go to, like, her parents owned a church. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, they were in the community in a very, very real way. Absolutely. And for what it's worth, like, we were older, so there was also a lot more awareness of, like, the politicization of being Black. Absolutely. This is so fresh in my mind because my mom reminded me of this the other day. And she yeah. was like, you yeah, remember, yeah, remember when, when. <laughs> <laughs> my coach... I was injured, and he didn't let me take the group picture. Mm. And I called my mom, and I was like, "Jeff is not." Oh my gosh, we're gonna get emotional. And uh, this, my mom—this was... <laughs> is
1: literally the experience of my
0: show. <laughs> <laughs> and my mom was like, "What?" I was like, "He's not letting me take the picture, y'all." There's been only a few times in my life where my mother has defied gravity. And like that was one of those times where I was like, did she put on a jetpack? Like, how did she get here (laughs) so so quickly? And she got there, though, and she demanded, like, no, she needs to be in the photo with her cast. Right. Like, she got the cast from doing while we were in the photo. Right. So, long story short, we took the photo, but after that, there was just, like, a constant... Before that, I hadn't felt like I had been ostracized. I just felt like mm, I was injured. Right. But then after that, it started being real like, you're over there. Yeah. You're not with us. You're over there. And so at the same time, though, again, I had this group of Black friends now who was like, you're with us. Exactly. You're with us. We and got so, you. And so one day they came to the gym and I ran through my flow routine. And I, admittedly, I hadn't run through my floor routine in like at least a week or two. Yeah. Um... And I think back, though, and I'm also like, you were 15. Exactly. Like, like an adult could have said to you, I know that you're tired of not getting to tumble, but you need to run through your floor routine. Like, you know, like, it's not, I'm not being defiant, like, to be disrespectful. But long story short, after that, after they came to the gym, he was like, you're not on the team. He was like, you're, Mm. he literally said to me, like, you don't belong here.
1: Mm.
0: He was right. Actually, I right. didn't, right? right? He was right. And I, like, wrote a letter. And then I be- <laughs> I, beca- I became, like, this mythical creature. Like, Amanda was the first person who stood up to Jeff. Right, right. Because I wrote him this whole letter. Like, I don't know who you're dealing with. <laughs> and my mom delivered the letter. But I know that had I not had that, that space to land on... I think I would have had a similar relationship yeah. to gymnastics that a lot of my peers, I'm still friends with a lot of the gymnasts that I was competing with. And you're right, so many of them have this very distant, yeah, like bitter and tense. You know, when I hear Dominique Dawes talk about gymnastics, I feel yes. so sad because she brought so much joy yep. and inspiration to so many of us, and her loathsome for the sport is so palpable. Yeah. Did you interview her? We didn't talk to her because she... Because she's like, I don't want to talk about this shit. Exactly.
1: And so actually our episode about her is unpacking that a lot of people, like you said, were super inspired by Dominique. And then you ask for a second sentence on her and people get really silent. And so one of the things we tried to do is unpack what her symbol meant and how we can figure out how she wants to orient herself with gymnastics so she's doing amazing work with her gyms they're not affiliated with USAG right she says a lot without saying directly oh this Fuck is what y'all. I think exactly <laughs> she has she has her Dominique tact about it you right. know what I mean um so that's what we do with her but we talk to so the first episodes with Jordan Childs and that's also a kind of we work with her story to talk about the themes that we're covering over over the course of eight weeks. And then we move chronologically. So we start with um, Diane Durham, and we've worked with her family over the last year, because unfortunately, you know, she passed mm-hmm. away last year. So we've been working a lot with her family and her friends and her contemporaries. So Wendy Hilliard, Angie Dinkins, who is a literally my favorite person. Mm-hmm. Um, she is the f- funniest woman. And then Joyce Wilborn. Angie and Joyce were in the junior levels when Diane was competing as a senior and they were very much inspired by her and Wendy of course was in artistic well when she was in rhythmic while Diane was in artistic at the same time in the mid 80s and so that's we start with that and we move from there so um Betty Okino who's my favorite she's my birthday <laughs> twin before I was like listen I always try to tell people that conversation is unmatched Gemini energy. And we are talking about (laughs) some heavy shit, but both of us cannot stop, like, just being goofy throughout all of it is my favorite. So we talk, you know, to Betty. And then as we get into it, we unpack viral routines from Sophina to Hallie to Nia. So we put, like, everything together to do a genealogy Mm -hmm. of that. And then it moves more modern into Gabby and and Simone. But like one of my favorite stuff we do is we talk to little girls, right? We work with brown girls, do gymnastics. We went to Grambling, right? And we talk to like six-year-old girls coming up right now. And so we try to really have voices from all levels, from multiple eras. And the thing about gymnasts, and this is what really kind of stuck out to me, even when you were kind of sharing your journey in gymnastics, is that so often people have been so conditioned not to talk that people are used to their story and actually when we put them all together, there's so much reverberation (laughs) that it's like, oh, y'all were isolated and here's actually how. Like, why is it that Wendy's story from 86... Right, right, feels like it maps perfectly on to you know Sofina's in the 2000s. Like this is wild to me, right? And this is what we started to see. The other thing we saw about gymnasts is a lot of times because in order to excel in gymnastics, there's so many things that it taught people discipline. Definitely. Perseverance. (laughs) Exactly. All of those things. But it also had a lot of lessons about how you use your voice or don't. And so Mm -hmm. a lot of people who are used to talking have been very well media trained. And so a lot of what it also was is exactly how we kind of started, which is like, oh, I have these associations with the sport that I didn't even realize once I sat down in it. And so actually, Kelly, I'm going to talk about you. my One of my producers signed on to the cell because she's a former gymnast. And she's like, gymnastics, hell yeah, da-da-da. Girl, like, she was, like, episode, like, halfway into the project, she was like, um, therapy. Like, here's (laughs) all the things, right, coming up. And so, um, I think for me, it is actually the collective of voices that is my, which is why I knew we had to do a show about more than just one person. Mm -hmm. Because... Everybody's inspiring each other there. It's not romanticized, right? It's not like nobody, everybody got along or best friends or anything like that, but rather there are ways that their lives or their legends intersect with each other's experiences. Even if you're just like, I saw that person at a meet, right? Or if it's Deetra Dennis, um, we, we have a great episode with the moms of some gymnasts that we know and love and... I love that episode so much. And Dietrich Dennis is, you know, talking to me about seeing E. B. Price's aunt Adam Me and being like, what is this world that we <laughs> that these girls are in? You know? Right. And so that's for me the stories that have emerged everybody's story is unique, and it's all their individual journey, but somehow it also is part of this larger constellation that, unfortunately, especially the stuff about, like, injury. It's like, I was listening to you talk about those stress fractures, and this is the thing about gymnasts. It's like, I had to stop them and be like, do you know y'all sound wild? Like, I was just <laughs> talking to somebody the other day, and they were like, here are my injuries before college. And it's like, we were on the fifth surgery, and I was like... And like, obviously. Right. (laughs) And obviously, for y'all, it's like.
0: Par for the course. Exactly. And so sometimes it's just like. Right. (laughs) It's
1: like just taking a step back and being like, man, you were 17 with two screws in your hip. Like, let's unpack that. Like, let's actually unpack that.
0: I was next on bars when I heard Tiffany Bird's hip flexor pop. Mm. See? (laughs)
1: That's just sad.
0: Exactly. Ah!
1: One of the things that we unpack in the 90s are like people who literally were contemporaries of people like Jalisa Gomez. Like, what does it do?
0: For the people listening, can yeah, you tell them about So Jaleesa
1: Jaleesa Gomez? um was a gymnast, uh Mexican-American, and who had gone to the Crowley's gym, left it because she was like, Get me the hell out of here. Joined up with another trainer, was circulating the world as a elite gymnast, up-and-coming elite gymnast, and then one meet was pushed to do a vault that she wasn't ready to throw and hit her head on the vault and fell into a coma, had brain trauma. At the medical facility, it was intensified because of malpractice in that space. And she returned to the United States in a vegetative state. And three years later, she died. And so here's this death, literally, Mm -hmm. right, from the sport. Her close friend and training partner, Chrissy Heinrich, Mm -hmm. also passed away through disordered eating. Um, You have two gymnasts who did not make it, right, to 21.
0: Specifically, directly, because of the sport. Exactly. And there's a way in which we
1: talk about these moments in isolation. And one of the things that is so clear is that if you're training alongside them or right behind them, right, you know of them, this leaves a mark. And so I talked to people like Betty Okina. I talked to people who were just on either side of these kind of tragedies about like how that seeps in your head the next time you're going to throw a vault that you're right. unsure about, you know? And the knowledge of how do I find my voice to speak up? Because there's too many stories of people who have been injured, right? Because they were pushed to compete. When they knew they weren't ready, and I don't know if anybody's had this experience, I find it so deeply frustrating when you know you should have said something.
0: Oh my gosh! And, and then you didn't, and, and then you shit didn't, happens,
1: and then shit happens. That guilt will follow you forever. Exactly. So when we talk about the process of gymnasts finding their voices, it's also a process of coming into themselves, yeah. in trusting themselves, and healing from the moments in which. They doubted themselves to understand, like, that was a systemic thing, right? right? This is not actually on you. It's not a character trait. Exactly, because, again, I just want to remind people about age, because that's (laughs) what we lose perspective of. We're talking about people who enter sport at three, at four, at five. If you're entering the sport at eight and nine, you're late to the party. And there's people who have and who are really good, but it's more rare because this is how young it
0: skews. Your gymnastics old... By the time you're twenty, I started at twelve, and I really do think that the reason I was so vocal had a because you to do hadn't with been it. brought up in that right. Because I was, I started at twelve, and I was a level eight in a year.
1: Yep and let me tell you that brings more animosity so there's a few black girls who this is true they come in late to the sport and then they're kicking ass and everybody <laughs> in the gym is like they just got here though you know what I mean and so it compounds that and this is kind of why I feel like it's, obviously this is why folks like us always are saying you need to have a racial analysis on things because anybody is going to be mad if somebody new comes in and all of a sudden they're leveling da da but if it's a black girl taking oh, your spot and getting yeah. medals it's over even if it's not your teammate you know uh your your training partner saying it. their parents are certainly sitting there in the little observation mm-hmm. room with a mouthful of words oh, about
0: it wow. i remember you know i was on the show my brother and me on nickelodeon mm-hmm. during this time and it premiered and so yeah. my teammates were like oh you know we're gonna watch the show and one of my teammates um was like oh yeah my dad said i can't watch the show because there's too many black people on it mm. And, like, she felt the need to, like, let me know that.
1: Lovely. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Exactly. I was like, well, you'll be missing
1: out. (laughs) It's ridiculous. I mean, that's some of the things that... It's so interesting because there has been work done, obviously, about aging gymnastics and abuse in gymnastics, eating disorders, et cetera. But what struck me as we dove into it is like how there was no racial lens to it whatsoever. So I'll just give an example. There's a story that's kind of parodied in books. Joan Ryan covers it, et cetera, of a gym. And the point of this story is to illustrate that there is a problem with food restriction, which is a problem. But the example that they give is there is a gym that for Halloween, one of the gymnasts was so... Small because of food restriction, etc. That her Halloween costume was to don blackface and go as like a starving Ethiopian. Now, this story is regurgitated multiple times, right? I have
0: never heard this story, girl. Wow,
1: I was reading this, and like the thing is, people are writing about it in the late 90s is like. This is an example of like eating disorders. I was
0: going to say like they're not <laughs> even pointing out that she's not in at all.
1: Phase. Not at all. And I was like I'm thinking about the one little black girl who's inevitably in that gym. Yes. And I'm like this is this is it. Like she's literally in blackface being like I'm a starving African. And everybody's like eating disorders. And it's like yeah, eating disorders and, and. racism, <laughs> right? And so I think that's a lot of of what we we're looking at. So like Betty Okino is really tremendous with a lot of the stories that she is open about. And she talks about food restrictions. She talks about all of that. But she talks about, yeah, she's tall for a gymnast and all that comes with being tall, but she's also brown. And that adds a layer. The famous story about Betty Okina, of course, is she gets down to the Crowley Ranch in Houston. This is the epicenter of of American gymnastics at the time. And her mom's Romanian. She speaks the language. Oh,
0: that's right. She is
1: in the gym listening to the Carolis talk massive shit about everybody but because she's a Gemini like me she didn't hold her face so she gives it away quite early like she turns around (laughs) and she's like huh (laughs) and then they switch languages but one of my favorite moments in the show is I asked her I said Betty um they knew your mom like, why do they think you didn't speak Romanian? She was like, you know why. I was what? like, I know why. I just need you to say it for the tape. You know what I mean? And so thinking about, like, Betty Okino's experiences is really instructive because she, in many ways, is coming right at the rise of modern gymnastics. And she's talking mm-hmm. about injury, She's talking about food restriction. But one of the things she talks about is, like, this moment, right, where she's um, training going to be a like exhibition and Nadia Comaneci and Bert are like here. And so everybody's like trying to be their best, right? Impress like the big wigs of, of gymnastics. And she is on that night in training. She has hit everything. She's like, listen, every, I don't know what everybody else is doing, but I'm good. <laughs> and Bella knew that and she was done and she really should have been able to like sit down. And instead he kept asking her to throw a dismount that she wasn't going to do in, comp- in that Competition the next night, and she knew she was too tired to do it. And at the time, you weren't going into a pit, you weren't going into a padded surface, you were throwing it on hard ground. Mm. And so she was just told to throw it over and over and over, and about the fourth or fifth time, she landed her to pop, and her hip was popped out, strained, just a mess. She missed the meet. She was out for eight weeks. And that's one of those moments where she said, I knew I should have said something. And then what she said to me that has always stuck with me since we had that conversation was like, it's not just... That if I spoke up, I would be a sassy gymnast. But I would be the sassy Black girl, and I would mm-hmm. confirm all the stereotypes that mm-hmm. were just barely held at bay because I was an efficient tumbler, right? Right, right. Because I was good on beam, And that is, to me, one of the kind of essence of a lot of these stories, is it is all the things that, like, I see my contemporary gymnast dealing with and then this other knowledge about what it means to be a Black girl in this world. You know, not just the gym, not just the federation, not just the college, but the world. And that is compounded in, in the sport, because the sport is of the world. And so in many ways, it's not surprising. But I think the stories just haven't been told for a number of reasons. And, and to hear them told in succession and together has been so powerful. And at times, very hard.
0: We had Jordan on the show, and she was... I must say, like, she was more... Open than I kind of expected yeah. her to be, but just about like her reason for moving gyms, yes, um, and coaches, yep. you know, coaches for leaving Seattle. Then we had Marzetta Frazier and Sakai Wright on the show to talk about the fuckery at UCLA. Yep. And, you know, give them a platform because, as you know, in the work you've done, and that you do, like, whenever the Black girls are part of the conversation, it becomes, well, they're the bullies, they started it, you know, all the above. So, oh, the inspector <laughs> just arrived. Um, and so Hey, guys, just by the way, if you're hearing, like, rrr, rrr, in the background, it's because y'all know I've been doing my kitchen renovation and I'm watching the inspector walk up the driveway. It's a brother. <laughs> it's a brother. So I'm like, hey, man, you know, <laughs> take your time because um, I want it done right. But anywho. There was the... the doc, I don't know if you saw the... I'm sure you... Of course you did. Mm-hmm. We, if you love gymnastics, you watch anything they make on gymnastics. Yes, so they had yeah. this dope docu-series on Peacock yeah. that was leading up to the Olympics. And they were following a couple folks, and Connor McClain was one of those yes. folks. And Connor McClain, by the way, just won the Winter Cup, which is a very big... super melanated podium. Yes! <laughs> like, the girls are here, honey. Exactly. The girls they have here. arrived, and they
1: are not leaving anytime soon.
0: <laughs> And, you know, like, you look at her and she just kind of seems like a very, like, docile, you know, Mm -hmm. just, like, sweetie girl. But she left her gym and she had been with her coach since she was a little bitty thing. And she ended up leaving her gym. And when they really pressed her on, like, why did you leave? It became very apparent that there was a lot of racist statements being made around Trump, around George Floyd, et cetera. And, you know, rest in peace to her father who just passed away. But her Black father was like... We out. (laughs) Exactly. And they got in a car and they drove. (laughs) And that's, you know, one of the moments that we had like
1: that on the trail is we... And the show starts with audio from the Gold Over America tour in Houston. Okay. Um, And we talked to little girls there and stuff like that. And so one of the things you'll hear in that is a little girl named Anaya. Anaya is nine and she just moved from... I want to say Wisconsin, but it might be Montana. I'm going to be honest. Some of those states, you know, exactly. (laughs) And Anaya had just moved to Houston to train at Simone's gym at the WCC, and we heard that story so often, right? Like it's not now that we're just leaving these gyms in pursuit of new gyms, a which is gym. yes. right. But we're actually going to Houston because there's a black gym there, and we know. And this is this was Jordan's journey there as well. Yeah, and I find it really, you know. I like the parallel because Houston has always been this kind of place that gymnasts had gone, whether they were going out to the ranch. right? And now it's like that shut down. Right. Mm-hmm. But Simone's gym is open, and the WCC is constantly affirming the fact that they are a space because they need a space for black yes. gymnasts. They want a space that's affirming. So when you talk to this girl like Anaya, and she's nine, and her mom is right there with her, and they were like, We just picked up and left. They had been in Houston for two weeks. Right. Oh my and gosh. Now she, she was at the WCC, and she was like, It's already so much better because it's affirming. And I think that that is a change we're saying. So part of what we're saying in the show is, like, nobody wanted (laughs) these Black girls in the sport. First of all, we try to point that they were always there, which is why we start at the Rise of the Gymnastics, and we, we show Diane Durham. You need to know Diane, because Diane... You know, was really uh, the one taking it to Mary Lou and she becomes a face of gymnastics because Diane is left off the 84 Olympic team. Yep. And so what would have been different, mm-hmm. right, if she was on these weedy boxes? I mean, they wouldn't have put her on one, but fair, we fair. can just have this imagination time. <laughs> so we do that. But I think the other part of it is, right, to be able to move chronologically and show that people have always been there, but the changes that have occurred over time. And we're not talking about just surface-level changes. We're talking about, like, what happened. So it's the difference between saying, oh, now everybody is having a viral routine, right? Well, that's commodified, (laughs) right? But the idea that there's a blueprint that was left by UCLA for a program that could be replicated, for choreography that could be replicated that now it's disseminated and commodified that we can talk about but it's also a change and so part of that change over time that we're tracking are these moments where really on the strength of black girls in the sport they have influenced and impacted and moved the needle forward especially as it trickles down. So a lot of times we go to the Olympics with good reason. When somebody like Simone is undeniable, somebody like Serena is undeniable, they create space just because they they can't be moved.
0: It's undeniable,
1: Exactly, but we also are are really interested in that kind of trickle-down and the work that people are doing in other areas. So we talk to judges. Jasmine Swinigan's up in Minnesota. She's one of two Black gymnastic judges in the state. And one of the things she does is like, Go and bust into these meetings where they're learning the rule books, and she takes like apart the slides, and she's like, "Listen, you're docking points off a black gymnast because For you the think way their, their toes, body. <laughs> where their bodies look, or because you think their toes aren't planted because you're trained, literally trained to look at a continuous line, but black people's feet are two colors, and this be fucking up the judges. Oh my god, because they literally are like, oh, it's not pointed because we can't follow this continuous line. So she literally goes in and was like this is a, a pointed toe on a black foot so don't take points off because you're seeing a different skin tone it's not that the foot's not straight it's just that that's what, that's melanin, what melanin looks, looks like, looks like. <laughs>
0: you know well Jordan and so, was saying that she was getting scores taken off for having a booty exactly exactly so we talk about that Jordan talks about that Hallie talks about that like the way that
1: they can't see past all that ass, right? They're like, oh, <laughs> your legs aren't straight. <laughs> it's like, no, it is. That's just right? thickness. <laughs> it just is thickness. And so that structural kind of change is also occurring, whether yeah. it's judges or we talk about athletes a lot, but coaches are, have been and will continue to be a huge issue. Athletic trainers have been and will continue to be a huge issue. Fist just announced that they yeah. are bringing a gymnastics program there. And that is amazing because we also know stories of people who just had to choose between going to affirming HBCU or continuing the sport. And so also tracking the structural changes, right, about leotards. Like Jordan, you know, talks about the meaning behind the clothes that she produces and the leotards and how she wears her hair and how her sister does her makeup. Um, And these are the things that have changed subtly over time in ways that sometimes we can't perceive, but that lay people, I think, feel when they're like, they see a picture from the WCC and they're like, oh my God, is gymnastics black? Where they look up and they see the team, and they're like, is it black now? And it's like, you know, actually it's been black for a while, we just haven't really seen it. And this is what it means to put it front and center.
0: One thing that's happened with gymnastics becoming more of a marquee sport, right? Like for me, it was always a marquee sport. But after 96, you know, that's when I feel like it really popped off and became like primetime and a lot more people's zeitgeist than most. Like it used to be a niche thing. And Atlanta Olympics, Magnificent Seven. It became like, oh, gymnastics is a thing, thing. Yeah, right. And it's funny because my man's like, why do you know all these Russian country <laughs> names? Right. <laughs> and I'm like, well, because in 1992, uh, exactly. the Soviet Union broke up, and after that, a lot of my favorite gymnasts were in their respective countries. Exactly. You know, Lea Pokapaya bus from Ukraine. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I think so in that. A lot more people got exposed to a sport that they don't really know shit about. Yeah. And so one of my frustrations is when folks will like put up a routine that is, it's I, right. It's I, right. you know, yeah. but they'll be like, they doctor score because she's black. And I'm like, yeah, y'all know I'm down for a race card. Yeah. But honey, yeah. she didn't hit the handstands. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, this
1: is real. I mean, we just had this kind of thing go down the other day when there's comparisons being drawn between... Yep, the ice skater. Yeah, exactly. And... Um, Chicago. 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 Yes. Kari- yes. Kari- there you go. And it's one of those things that was like, for sure, there's always disparate treatment. And also, we're talking about different federations. Like the U.S. OPC is actually the ones that, you know, pr- like, r- made prevent her-, her from going. Yeah. Like, that's them. And then here is the arbitrators of, r- right. There is literally, In that conversation, three different federations that were all fucking up for different reasons, but it does nothing, right, to condense it. But this is just some of the issue, right, with the kind of quick sharing, quick opinion, whatever, is because nuance, where is it? Who knows, right? I mean, we saw this conversation happen around Simone's routines and Fig because it's absolutely true that there's a way that Fig is penalizing her routines. And it's absolutely true that it's influenced by the fact that she is this dominant Black woman. And it's also true, right, that... And FIG, by the
0: way, is the Federation of International Gymnastics. They are who determine what scores, what values.
1: Yeah. And it's absolutely whack that you want to penalize her for being able to do what other people can't. But there's also a conversation in there about how people are trying to regulate safety. There is a conversation in there about how other things are scored besides her routines, but we don't have those fuller conversations. And I think that it's because they're not simple. They're actually complicated. And many times, there's multiple things in operation. And so, like you said, you have these routines that a lot of times people are like either shouting out or they resonate with for very particular reasons. And I think that, like, we need to have space to be like, this is why I resonate with this routine. I mean, I just saw, um, who was it? Jay just was doing her routine that she should have done in the Olympics if she had been on the Olympic team. Mm-hmm. And it was to a really dope instrumental cut of Satisfied from Hamilton. <laughs> And she wasn't tumbling because she was just marking through it. And I was like, this music alone has done something for me. I am like, I am with it. You know what I mean? And so I think that one of the things that we've seen with the rise of gymnastics moving into this marquee sport is exactly that kind of symbolic politics. It's the same way people were sharing pictures from the WCC and being like, our national team is Black.
0: Mm-hmm. And it's like
1: that is that is not that's the national not... team. That is not the Olympic team. <laughs> like not... that's not how it works exactly. I appreciate um, I appreciate <laughs> the
0: energy, but the enthusiasm no. exactly.
1: And I think that there is a way that we can capitalize on that. Like we can take that interest. We can take people who say it moves me to see. Sakai and her afro killing it right to on DMX. floor. Exactly. Like it moves me in this way. But I think that what we forfeit if we forfeit nuance is that we are only talking about the visible and the symbolic, and we don't have space then to talk about structural things that could help us. Um so like when we're talking about scoring, right? There's a way that like people who are really into the sport can like be nitpicky. But also if we can't talk about that, then we can't talk about these other ways that like race is really working with scoring, like the foot thing that I was mentioning right. earlier, right? And so that's kind of where I am and how I think about that kind of mainstreamification of I mean, gymnastics. the mainstream is who
0: tore up Gabby's ass. You know, they tore Gabby up. Ah. That's a lot. You know, so that's one of my
1: favorite conversations. So Gabby was in and out behind the scenes with me in terms of what she wanted to do. So we have a lot of tape from her, but not like a traditional interview in that, in how I did with other people, which is like multi-hour Conversation. I
0: tried to get her on my podcast and she ghosted me and I was like,
1: The girl um, is just like living her best life on TikTok in a farm, you know? And I'm like, you know what? Like, cool. That's what you need. Go for it. But um, I talked to two of my colleagues, both Black women who are also professors of media and sports, um, Dr. Sam Shepard and Dr. Courtney Cox. And we like really unpack media there. And But we, we talk about Gabby and we unpack like, all of these things about hair, all of these things about body, all of these things just about... I mean, the girl, if you ever go to... I call her the girl. If you ever go to Gabrielle's TikTok, she's going to reference the Dougie once every four TikToks, right? Like, that has stayed with her. <laughs> um, but, right, this is, like, a major media moment. Like There's, like, probably every other month on Twitter, somebody will just pop up and be like, remember when Gabby tried to Dougie? Right? <laughs> and, but you think about, like, what happened with the rise of visibility and media proliferation at the time is that everybody had invite. Like, Twitter was a thing that other gymnasts didn't have to contend Listen. with yet. And here you have her being hyper-scrutinized, right? You have the familiar conversation around entitlement because she came out of nowhere. That's not true. Um, There's no
0: version of being a gymnast and coming out of nowhere. It's like, just not a thing.
1: It's like absolutely not a thing. And actually, just a few months earlier, she had kicked everybody's ass except that she was designated as an alternate in the meet, so her scores yep, didn't count. Yep. And you can, we have tape in the episode where you'll hear the people who are announcing the meet say... And, well, oh, Gabrielle Douglas, like, that's another good score. If she counted, she'd be winning. Cause she, and this is American <laughs> Cup, right? Exactly, exactly. I mean, so that what, was like like a, a, major, that's a major meet. A major meet. So it wasn't a surprise. But also, the thing about it was she placed first in the all around coming out of trials. But the conversation centered on if she Jordan took Jordan's Weber. spot. Right. And I was like, well, maybe you should talk to who's number two. <laughs>
0: because Well, that was always so frustrating for me too, because they had created this narrative that Jordan Weber was it and was the girl. Yeah. She was beat. Fair and square. That's what happens in sports. (laughs) It's It's sports, sports. beloved. Like, that's
1: what (laughs) happens. But, like, you're running headfirst into a narrative. Like, and the Olympics are good for that, because they have their human interest packages ready to go. You know, so Gabby was really, and Allie, and really Jordan's lack of performance in in that space. But also, it's not even that Jordan did bad. You run into... They just did better, they just did better, right? And so she was dealing with all of that. She's dealing with her hair, which yeah, is something I was that... I to say,
0: the hair I was... talk to
1: everybody about hair through every generation because here's the other thing. Every Black girl has had an awkward hair phase. Every Black girl, I feel like, if, you, if you're like, I haven't had an awkward hair phase, I'm like, run me the pictures, please, <laughs> from 12 you know. to 15, you know? <laughs> but it just so happens that the way gymnastics age is set up, the black girls in gymnastics in elite visible spaces just happen to be hitting that awkward hair phrase right when they're the most visible Yes, (laughs) you know and so we talk about that and like but I talked about that with like Betty and she was talking about being down at the ranch and trying to style her hair like her white teammates there in Houston humidity (laughs) it doesn't work it's like all the gymnasts from the 80s rock the same kind of short afro and they were like because that was safe like we knew we could just (laughs) do that Right? So we talk about Gabby's hair and the hyper-scrutinization about that, but here's the thing. Gabby's family had made a decision that to advance her training, right? You have to literally give your child over to the sport. She was literally living in fucking Iowa. Right? Do you know how many Black hair care options you have in Iowa? (laughs)
0: Not many. You know what I mean? And also, like, you just don't care. You don't care. You're flipping. People are very much, like, like, I saw someone the other day comment and say that I think Amanda wears her hair because I'm very whatever about my hair yeah. on on the Instagrams. And they were like, I think Amanda wears her hair like that because she wants us to feel she's more ethnic. <laughs> and then I saw someone else say, oh, Amanda's hair is big because it goes along with her agenda. And I'm like, I, you know, first of all, y'all have a level of attention that, if you could put it to things that actually right. matter, could actually be very helpful. Right. But a lot of people don't understand, like, I come from, I'm at the gym. As long as my hair isn't in my face, I'm good. I'm good. So I used to have, we used to call it the Lion King. Yeah. Because I used to have just a bang that Just stick, sticking out. It's just, right? just sticking out. <laughs> it's the main. And like, you know, I would start the day with it, you know, pulled back, right. but it would just pop up. And to this day, like, I, get, I clean up when it's time to clean up. But right. I really just, I think it's just like when I'm talking, it's like when I was in the gym, I'm flipping. Like, I'm just focused on what I'm focused on. And these girls, though, as we've seen, it's become so much of a celebrity thing now yeah. that there's a different vibe. I know we're running out of time, but (laughs) I would love to hear you talk about just Simone and the the gigantic shift. Because even Gabby was a shift, but then there was like a huge shift. Absolutely, absolutely. So the
1: handoff to Gabby, to Simone, even in our episodes, is really important because the question there is, can there be two Black girls at the top of the white sport, right? And we saw in 2016 a resounding answer of no. Because mm. all of the kind of conditional love that Gabrielle had gained after she won, she would forced people to accept her, a lot of that went away as Simone is rising, as she's ascending. And the thing with Simone, and I said it earlier, she's undeniable, right? Like, there's just no way that a lot of people could fuck with her. That's why USAG was like, We don't know what to do. Like, what can (laughs) we do? (laughs) You know what I mean? And Simone has had her own journey in the sport. Obviously, we saw that this summer a lot as well. But the thing with her that has been so phenomenal to watch, which is why we start at the Gold Over America Tour which spells GOAT. It took me longer than I will admit to figure that
0: out. Oh, my gosh. I'm just finding that I was today years old.
1: (laughs) I was today
0: years old. Yeah, the
1: GOAT tour. So the thing about it is, she has obviously, with her family's support, from setting up her gym to not giving a fuck about USAG, right? right? Launching her own tour. If people aren't familiar, there used to be post-Olympic gymnastics tours that were sponsored by Kellogg. Mm-hmm. There was one sponsored by Sudafed, which seems counterintuitive to yeah. <laughs> flipping. <laughs> right. Um, but they looked awful. Like, seriously, go to YouTube and watch them because everybody is looks miserable. They're tired. They are nursing literally injuries that they have Got on the way to the Olympics and it's at the Olympics. It's not production
0: either. It's, it's just not like, production.
1: It's just
0: blah. It's silly. Like they'll do like hokey, like routines, you know, gag routines. Exactly. Like, I wanna, but when they promoted the Goat Tour, they were like, it's going to be big girl gymnastics. It's literally is. And the thing that they
1: did is they took it next level. So Simone chose the people going. That show is so melanated. Right? Really, besides Chelsea, the only white gymnasts in the show were the Olympians. So one could say those spots were going to go to whoever made the Olympics (laughs) and everybody else, right? Um, Including international Black girls, which is a whole other conversation, but this is not just happening in the United States. So Melanie's there representing France. We've seen Rebecca, you know, and and folks from Brazil. And so... And Melanie's on the Gold Over America Tour. And so you get there, first of all, you know it's gonna be different because the choreography is giving. Then also, the themes that they're talking about, one of the big distinctions that we make is that those Kellogg tours, they were just gonna be like, gymnastics of sparkle and that's it. News was breaking about Larry Nassar, and they were like, and the tour is going on, and gymnastics is all happy and smiles, right? And the thing that stuck out to me the most about the Golden of America Tour, and it's funny, because Nia told me, and Jordan told me, they were like, you're going to cry. And I was like, okay, well, what I'm are you not going to cry. Sh- Girl, <laughs> show the way <laughs> I cried through this entire show. No, I did Because... Too. There's, you know, the moment in which Simone is literally being chased by her anxiety, wearing a hoodie that says, your anxiety is lying to you. And she's being chased over the beam and under the bars <laughs> and up on the stage where she holds hands, you know, with with her teammates. And that's what pushes the anxiety away. I mean... Hello, the what is this? Ohashi, the like,
0: Caitlin, it? The whole Caitlin word
1: <laughs> that part, the the baby pictures about you oh, know yes! where you've been and where you, like these are left room for all of it and like how we started our conversation. There is joy in this sport, you know, and for too long that has been all we have gotten, and then we have had that big scandal where it's like and it's abuse, and part of what that show contains is the multitudes. And Simone herself has been so persistent at that. So when she's going to the Olympics this past summer and saying, part of the reason why I am putting my body through this, adding an extra year to Olympic training is not easy is because I'm a survivor and if I'm here USAG can't stop having the conversation about what they owe us and how they failed to protect us and she did that to her own detriment of her own mental health which she also kind of stood in um and and pushed forward a conversation for in
0: no not at all I know, right? No, what, no, no, it, it, zero. She can't zero end kiss. on that. Like I, I feel like the type of person she is in her mind. Mo- like I can't first see her and foremost. And that. she's talked
1: <laughs> about. She's like, I want time to be a a girlfriend now, a fiance. Go you, girl. But also like the Facebook Watch series that she produced. Yeah, she produced that. You know how that series ends? It ends on her coach. Saying, oh, LOL, I just got a text for Simone. And she reads the text and she said, why does this have me thinking about uh, the next Olympics? And she was like, (laughs) want to come back? And then she's like, hmm. And that's how it ends. You know, like, I I really wouldn't be surprised, mostly because it's a short cycle. If it was another four-year cycle, then I would say, "Hmm." Maybe not. But it's a shortened cycle, and so I think it will be interesting to see Do the you know age. How
0: annoying everyone's gonna be so annoyed. So
1: annoying. Especially don't let her like I mean, it's it's the rhetoric that we've come to assume with like Serena and Venus. Like it's just going to be annoying in the lead up. And then don't let her have any major life events between now and that. It will be all that's all we'll hear about. But I think that she is still writing her story in these ways. But that has been the most magnificent thing from the former gymnasts who are now judges, who are now coaching, who are Dominique running. She just announced the opening of another gym on her terms. Oh, wow. Um, Tasha Swiker, right, who was this wonderful gymnast who was called the Dennis Rodman of gymnastics, this bad girl (laughs) gymnast who the USAG tried to make this, like, shield and spokesperson of not being abused to coming forward with her sister Jordan to talk about that, and then being a lawyer and actually... Being on the legal team that has secured this settlement, right, for these victims. I mean, that is an arc, baby. You know what I mean? And so that has been wonderful to see. Wendy Hilliard, with her foundation in New York, has trained the next generation of gymnasts from places that people don't go looking for gymnasts. And that is. What has been great is that people have walked away from the sport and some people have pushed it forward in walking away. Some people have pushed it forward by coming back to it in new roles. Some people have said, I am done with it. And and my absence is, is what they need to kind of step into. And... I'm excited to see where gymnastics goes. There's a lot of evidence that um, there's some really great things on the horizon, whether we're looking at Fisk and their program or the work that Brown Girls Gymnastics is doing writ large, the conversation Simone has started about mental health, literally telling the next generation, if you're injured, stop. If you need a break, stop. Like, you can actually speak up. Or the UCLA girls, like you had on your show, saying... This is not it. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Um, The power of refusal. And so I um, have just been really grateful to bear witness to some of these journeys and to collect these voices and to amplify them and to put them in conversation with each other when so often they've been isolated by the sport and by the decades and all of that. Because I think together... It's just a very powerful testament to the unyielding nature of Black girlhood and Black womanhood, and whether we're gymnasts or professors, actresses, whatever, I think that that is absolutely the core and the heartbeat of the show. So I hope everybody tunes
0: into it. The screen. So we have a segment called The Script where we let folks know about like supplementary materials they can check out to support our conversation. So first and foremost would be listening to the actual podcast to let folks know absolutely
1: so American Prodigy season three wherever you get your podcast you can find it I will tell you there's also bonus episodes on the Apple podcast like subscription jam so there's eight episodes like I said voices of gymnasts you know you don't know story there's so many stories that are like I've never told this to anybody before and then we get the tea it's wonderful Um, but also those bonus episodes are the kind of fuller conversations with gymnasts that you might hear some of their tape in the episode and then you'll get our kind of fuller conversation in those bonus episodes. There's transcripts to every episode. Um, we want it to be hyper-accessible. so um, And we also want to tell everybody that if you need to pop in and out of it, because it triggers you in any way, transcripts are a great way to kind of capture the part of the conversation that you're, you're ready to have. So that is, wherever you get your podcasts, check out American Prodigies from the Blue Wire Podcast Network. And I would also shout out the great folks everywhere who's been working on gymnastics. Blind Landing is a great podcast that has been doing this. There has been great coverage on like documentaries like Athlete A, Golden, like you mentioned. Um, there's a lot of gymnastics content, should you want to sink your teeth into it? And I hope that we just add to it and send your voices that you might not hear in those other spaces.
0: All right. Well, there it is. I'm looking forward to checking it out and indulging in my uh, adolescent passion of gymnastics. You know, one of my bucket lists is to commentate gymnastics. Oh, we gotta make it Olympics. happen. Like, even, gotta if make it's it not, happen. even if it's not officially the Olympics, I'm like, just to do it for somebody. Nah, th- I mean, they gave Kevin Hart and Snoop Dogg the I post-Olympic know. show. <laughs> I mean,
1: that you feels like super attainable. <laughs> I need to talk to Kevin about that because for I'm real. like, yo,
0: put me in the game, man. Listen, Peacock
1: has possibilities. I'm trying to, the Peacock <laughs> possibilities and money, look, it is out here. I'm saying we're gonna manifest it. We're gonna was manifest at it. I three Vote at five. Listen, like, <laughs> this, this Olympics it had rough. me down bad. It was rough. It, it, I'm still recovering. And then we had to do the winter games. And I was like, I just can't, y'all. <laughs> like,
0: it's just not it. was it. commitment. My, my alarm would go off <laughs> and I'd be like, do you really feel like getting up? I'm like, yeah, I have to, right. I have to know. I have to know. I have to know. I have to exactly. watch it in real time. Because the coverage was also like really all over the place. So it was like... If I trust just their coverage, I'm not right. going to get... Well,
1: I, the only thing I appreciated is, like, me. here's me on my professor's soapbox being like, narrative, da-da-da. <laughs> but now, as it's, like you can see it in real time people have started noticing it because they'll be like oh the primetime coverage is only half the story or why are we still looking at Michaela Schiffer and on a hill because people are still skating like Peacock has allowed you to be like actually skip that I'm going right to this like I want to see
0: Flavia from Brazil exactly exactly like let me
1: just follow her so gymnastics especially you can stay on one event you can follow people around I'm manifesting that for you and I would say if you you need any other reason to listen Angie Dankins remember the name She was bar champion in the late 80s. She is honestly the funniest (laughs) truth teller about her time in gymnastics. And And she is a voice that I want in everybody's life because she is my joy (laughs) in this project.
0: The Last Dose well, thank you so much, Amira. Um, you know, we appreciate the work that you're doing and that you have been doing, particularly in the sports space around Black women. Keep going. And I have a feeling we'll be reconnecting on the gymnastics front in the future. Let's make it happen. I
1: appreciate the time. Appreciate you having me on.
0: No doubt. Avenue, a, podca- <clears throat> a podcast network.